Lord God Almighty, we do thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you for Christ that makes that possible. We pray now that you would make our hearts attuned to you, that we might see you for who you are. Not for who you've, we've made you out to be, but who you are. Help us as we think about prayer, but most importantly as we think about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the next month, we're going to be talking about prayer. You heard Joey mention that. Uh, prayer could be defined as meeting with God or conversing uh, with God. Prayer involves all kinds of things, right? Prayer involves uh, requesting things from God. That's what we often think about, but it's often more than that. It's praising God for things. It's thanking God for things. It's adoring God. It's confessing sin. Uh, prayer includes all of those things. Uh, but oftentimes, I think, at least for maybe not oftentimes, but for some of us, when we hear the notion of prayer, two words come to mind. The words boredom and guilt, right? Boredom because, you know, we are people of action. You know, we have a lot of things to do, right? And so when we think about prayer, we tend to think of prayer as something that's sort of kind of out of line with us doing something. Almost sometimes we would never say it this way, but it sort of seems like a waste of time. We're not doing anything. And so we can be bored by prayer because it just seems like we're just sitting there talking to the air, at which time that second word comes in. Those of us that are religious people or those of us especially trusting Christ, we know that we should be praying, but we just don't pray much. We don't pray as we should. Then we begin to feel guilty, right? And so then we try to pray a little bit and we get kind of bored with prayer. And then we get back feeling guilty again. And it's this vicious cycle that goes on and on. Uh, now, I want to praise the Lord for those of you that excel in prayer. Uh, I hope that you will uh, more accurately and more faithfully represent the beauty of prayer, the joy of prayer to those around you. Uh, but for many of us, we struggle in prayer. We've read books on prayer. We've sat in trainings about prayer. We've sought accountability for prayer. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about why I think we struggle to pray. Why I think we struggle to pray. I'm not going to answer through this series all of your questions about prayer, but uh, I do want to talk this morning about uh, why I think we struggle to pray. And I think much of the reason we don't pray is because we think of prayer in the wrong way. We think of it in the wrong way. We have the wrong sort of expectations maybe about prayer, the wrong orientations about prayer. Imagine being an employee on a cruise line and showing up on a cruise ship with the expectations of a customer. Right? Wouldn't go well, right? That cruise you'd be on would not meet your expectations. Your experience would be different on that cruise. Or imagine uh, getting married and thinking that once you got married, you're going to live happily ever after. Right? Bad expectations, right? Uh, so, or imagine taking up a six-month contract with the United Nations, thinking you're going to settle the Middle East crisis there in, the, in that portion of time. Your experience over that course of the time would be sort of messed up in a particular way because your expectations are off. And so I think our expectations or our outlooks in prayer needs to be adjusted if we're going to thrive in prayer. And much of the reason we struggle to play, pray, as I said, is this orientation needs to be adjusted. And so here's the outlook. Here's the adjustment we need to learn to take in prayer. Prayer, as we'll see this morning, is answering God. It's answering God. See, oftentimes I think we struggle because our expectations of prayer are flipped. They're misaligned. We approach prayer or think of prayer as a way of God needing to answer us. And today I want to upend that and to upend that way of thinking to help us see that prayer is answering God. Not ultimately, I want to emphasize that word ultimately, not ultimately Him answering us. Of course He does answer us. But ultimately, 
we need to flip this idea and understand that prayer is ultimately about us answering God. Next week, we'll come back and take a look at private prayer. We'll consider that. The week after that, we'll see the need for persistent prayer. Uh, And then after that, we'll go and take a look at what's so-called the um, unanswered prayers and try to think about those. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be thinking about the kind of macro understanding of prayer. And then we'll come back and there's more uh, micro aspects. Now, when you came in, you should have received a little outline. Now, that's not something that we normally do in the life of Restoration Church. And much of the reason I did that was because we're going to be skipping the rock all through the Bible, all over the place. And I want to help you be focused through that because you may find it's going to be hard. Uh, I am reminded a lot this week about how much easier it is to just work through books of the Bible, which is our normal practice here. Uh, And so it's harder to sort of find things and organize things and make them understandable to you. So that's why you have that outline. And I hope that you'll take that outline this week and go back and look at it and think over those verses uh, later this week. But here's the big idea. You have it there on your sheet. Prayer should not be understood as something whereby we ask God to enter into our stories. But instead, prayer is a privilege granted to us who believe whereby we get to enter into his story. Prayer should be understood. That's what we're going to try to see. Not so much us, God trying to get God to enter in our story, but us enter into him. Prayer is answering or responding to what God is already doing. We are not the ones ultimately taking initiative in prayer. We are entering into the flow of redemptive history that has been playing out all around us from eternity past and will be for eternity future. So when we wake up, uh, we call it what? The beginning of the day, right? The beginning of the day, as if nothing has happened before us waking up. But Scripture tells us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So He has been working as we have been uh, sleeping. And so Scripture tells us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so God's been up to 10,000 things have we, as we have been sleeping. And so you should know when you wake up, it's not as though God was thinking, well, you know, let's, I'm waiting for Nathan to get out of the bed so I can do something today in Washington, D.C., right? No, he doesn't need us. He's been doing all kinds of things. And so the more that we understand this, oriented by this, the more that we will understand prayer. Three points this morning. Three points. They'll be a little confusing to you. Thus the outline. Uh, One, the first point will be sort of thematical through the Bible. Second point will be more topical. Third point will be more practical. First point, more thematical. Second point, more topical. Third point, more practical. First point, the God-centeredness of God. The God-centeredness of God. So for us to understand prayer as answering God, not ultimately God answering us, we have to see the God-centeredness of God. This is going to help orient our perspective in prayer. Uh, And so many of you are familiar with that shorter catechism question. The first question in the shorter catechism is to, uh, it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Many of you know the answer to that. The chief end of man is to know and enjoy God forever. That's the, that's the answer to that. But what if I were to take out the word man and insert the word God? What is the chief end of God? How would you answer that question? I would love to know how you would answer that question. What is the chief end of God? We might be tempted to say, well, if chief end of us is to know and enjoy God forever, the chief end of God is to know man and enjoy him forever. But some of you are going, well, that doesn't sound right. You'd be right. And the reason why it is, the reason why it doesn't sound right is if the chief end of God or the goal of God's existence was to know and enjoy man, that would make God an idolater. What is the first and greatest commandment that Jesus taught us? 
to love God, right? We can think about the first of those Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. What does that say? Have no other gods before me. And so for God to be holy, He must obey the very thing of which He uh, puts out for us. The chief end of God cannot be to know and enjoy man or anything else that's been created. Therefore, what's the answer? Well, the chief end of God is the same as it is for us. To know and enjoy Himself forever. What else would you have God to treasure? Any other answer you're tempted to say there would make God an idolater. And secondly, it would make God foolish because He would choose to treasure something above Himself who is of infinite worth. See, God is uncreated from beginning to end. He is from the beginning to the end. He is the embodiment of love and truth and justice. He is holy. And so therefore, God shows His wisdom by treasuring Himself above all things. And the reason why we cannot do that, the reason why we cannot treasure ourselves above all things is because we are not of supreme worth. Only God is. Therefore, God is God-centered. Understanding this and being oriented by this will then help us in prayer because it will make us to pray in such a way that matches the music that God is playing in the world. Or to say it the opposite way. When we don't understand the God-centeredness of God and we pray in a way that is, say, man-centered, then we will pray like Joey claps, off rhythm, right? It won't won't sound good, right? We won't miss that. So we need to pray in a way that fits the rhythm of God, that fits and works alongside that. So it will be out of rhythm, it will be disruptive when we are praying man-centered prayers all right we can think about a passage from the bible first peter 3 7 husbands live with your wives in an understanding way why so that your prayers will not be hindered see they understand that's not matching the rhythm of the universe so the prayers are getting hindered so in the same way our prayers need to be working in the rhythm of god's purposes in the world and just in case you doubt me that god is god-centered let me show the theme of this from beginning to end in the bible I'm going to basically preach the entire Bible in about five minutes. Ready? Here we go. First question. What was God doing before creation? What was God doing before creation? Well, let's ask Jesus. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. Now, that's, a, we could, that's that second point that we'll come to. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So what was God doing before the foundation of the world? Loving, treasuring himself. Right? Well, then why did God create? Second question, why did God create? Well, Genesis chapter 1. We see in Genesis 1.27, why did he create mankind? Well, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created. him. So in other words, God created mankind to image himself, to display himself. We could look at Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, God's speaking here, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? For my glory. Glory means weight, praise. Uh, we can think about the skies above. Why do the skies, why were they created? Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaims His handiwork. Why did God make the sky? To display His glory. 
Why did God make the angels? Well, let's take a look and see what they're doing. Maybe that would tell us why he made them. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says, Holy, holy, holy. This is them singing in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we see that the angels' job is to be just sitting there praising God. We see even when they show up on earth to give messages, it's so that people would be in the rhythm of God to advance his glory, his purposes in the world. Okay, well then what about the old covenant people Israel? Why did he form them? Jeremiah 13, 11. For as, a, as the loincloth clings to the waist of man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. So he made them for his praise, his glory. That's why Israel was formed. Well, then why did he save them from the Egyptians when they were enslaved there? Why did he enslave them from the Egyptians? We'll take a look at Psalm 106, verse 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. When we say namesake, we mean their praise for the exaltation of his name, that he might make known his mighty power. So he saved uh, Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the uh, uh, promised land for his namesake. What about the new covenant? Why did God do that? Ezekiel 36.22, your outline says 32, it should be 22. 36.22 says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. He's doing it for his glorious name. What about the plan of redemption in Christ? Well, listen to the words of Jesus again in John Chapter 12, verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus talking. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And so therefore we see that Jesus understands the purpose for which he came was to exhaust the wrath of God for sinners who believe against their own sin, so as to pay that penalty, rise again for the purposes of having a people, then praise God. Jesus knows that's why he's there, ultimately why he's there. Well, then why the plan of sanctification? Justification is the point in time when a sinner trusts in Jesus and are given his righteousness. Sanctification comes after that. What about that process? Sanctification. Why is that there? Growing in godliness after salvation. Why is that there? First Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I added one. This one's not in your outline. But why did God make us to eat and drink? First Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Praise of God. And then finally, the last chapter of redemption. Uh, why the plan of the restoration of all things in the end? Second Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's those away from the presence of His might. Those that do not believe. And when He comes, Jesus, when He comes on that day, for what purpose? To be glorified in His saints. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. 
the return of Christ is about uh, us glorying in Christ as he returns and us marveling at his greatness. That's what the restoration of all things is about. And so what is God doing in the world? He is working for the exaltation of his glory every single day. That's what he's doing. Therefore, when we ask the question, what is the purpose or what is the meaning of my life? What's it for? Ultimately, I need to understand I was made for the praise and the glory of God. For the praise and the glory of God. My life is to be about the praise and glory of God. We exist, the world exists for the supremacy of God in all things. That's why we are in existence. That's why God made governments. That's why God made families. That's why God made uh, mangoes. That's why God made chocolate. That's why God made sunsets in Montego Bay. For His glory. For His praise. For His exaltation. And yet, friends, you should know, due to sin, this great end, it will be accomplished, the praise of God's glory on all the earth. But it is currently clouded. It's clouded. You need to know, beloved, that CNN, Fox News, The Washington Post, Hollywood, American University, whatever, this is not their aim. This is not their aim. And also, the aim of the evil one, friends, is to distract us from this great end of seeing and enjoying the greatness and the glory of God. The evil one's aim is to get us to be distracted from that great end so that we would glory and enjoy other things above God. And yet the reality is, friends, God is God-centered and He is advancing His glory around the world. He's been working for the spread of His praise uh, before in times past. That's what He's doing now. That's what He's doing. Uh, that is what He will be doing in the future. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Right? So you, you've got to love and enjoy Jesus. That's how awesome heaven's going to be. So if then God is God-centered, we're now ready for point two. If God is God-centered, working out His praise from eternity past, then praying is answering God in that work. Prayer then is answering God in that work of the praise of His glory. That's our orientation. It needs to be our orientation. Prayer is answering God. If God from eternity past has been working to bring about the treasuring of His infinite worth in the world, therefore when we pray, we ought to understand ourselves to be answering God in His prior work of current exaltation. We are the ones entering into that work. You understand? When we pray, we're entering into what God is doing. That needs to be our orientation. And so seen in this sense, we are not so much initiating a conversation with God in prayer as much as we are seeking to enter into what He already has done and is doing and will be doing in our lives for His glory. Do you see how this changes our perspective in prayer? It should make prayer become more make prayer become less me centered, more God centered. Less suspicious of my own desires, my own interpretation, more confident in what God is doing in all the world. That should change our orientation in prayer. Everything that happens in our lives and around the world that leads us to pray is responding or answering God's work of glory in the world. That's why prayer should be seen as answering God. We are answering or responding in life to the work of God's glory in the world. We don't have all the answers. We don't always even know the right questions. We definitely don't know all the right conclusions, per se. 
And so in prayer, we're seeking to answer God's work of redemption and restoration in the world. We can be confident that that's what he's doing. And so prayer is seeking to take what is sort of whatever is this here. I'm trying to understand this, whatever this is, this circumstance in my life. And I'm trying to understand this in light of that. That's what prayer is trying to do instead of the opposite. Trying to take sort of God, this I'm starting with this and I'm ending with this. How are you going to get in on this? I need to understand this in light of that. See, I think too often. Our prayer withers because we believe we know what's best. We think we know what's the right answer. We think we even know what the right questions are. We are too man-centered, self-centered, not God-centered. And as a result, we are trying to then steal glory from God as we get Him to work in the way that we think is best. As if things begin with us. Which is one of the reasons we struggle to pray, right? How efficient is prayer? Not real efficient, right? Wouldn't it be great? Not really. You say, well, I need an apple. Poof, an apple. Boom. Like, we would be praying all the time. Right? But because prayer does not work that way, and God is patiently working about His glory, we have trouble praying because we're so, so interested in what we want. And prayer gets sort of hurt in that way, or at least it keeps us from praying. Therefore, we, we need to see prayer as a tool. A, pr- a tool to enter into God's bl- glory in His work of redemption. Not a tool to kind of try to manipulate Him for our purposes. But try to get in on His and what He's doing. Let me give you, see if I can give you an example of this or an illustration of this. Uh, during World War II, there were men that entered later in the war. They came to be called replacements. Uh, and they were called replacements because they were replacing soldiers that had died or had been wounded in that particular unit. So I want you to imagine that you are a replacement. It's December of 1944, and you're dropping in into Bastogne. Dropping in there, and the unit that you're coming to enjoy, uh, or actually, maybe I, hopefully you'll enjoy them, but the work that you're going to do, that unit that you're coming to be a part of, they've been together for months and years even. They've trained together, they've eaten together, they've lost friends together, they've traveled together, and you don't know these guys. You're dropping in there, and you show up, fresh uniform, clean, crisp uniform, not all these experiences that these guys have had, and you show up, and what is it you're going to do when you show up? You're going to show up and say, hey, listen, this this is kind of hard. Let's just let them have that town. I would go back here, it would be a lot easier back here. Hey, 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 uh, do you guys have a shower? I mean, I'm really... I'm really dirty from the whole travel thing. You know, can you give me a shower? I need some warm food. I haven't had, a, had one in a couple of days. No, that's not what you're doing, right? You're a replacement. You show up in line of battle, and what do you do? You go to the superior officer, and you ask for his orders. That's what you do. You ask for his orders. And whatever it is that that officer would say to you, you would know that that's the thing that you need to do as your duty as a soldier in that unit. Whatever it is, because that soldier, that officer, knows more than you do. You being a good soldier, you would answer him. You would do what's best for the unit because you know that he knows the situation better than you. Maybe you'd ask some other soldiers to try to understand what was going on as well. But they have been together. They know what's going on. They have more insight than you. That unit, though, does not exist for you. That unit does not exist for you. Guess what? Listen to me. That unit does not exist for itself. That unit exists for a greater mission. That unit exists for a greater mission. So your officer is there to lead you in that mission. You're not there to dictate the mission because you don't understand the mission. Not completely. You don't have the full picture. 
You've answered the call. You're joining the fight that has already been going on. And so therefore, your questions, your conversations are looking for answers as to how you can best fit your story inside the work of this unit and do your part in accomplishing the mission as you listen to the officer's orders. Just try and think about how much grief you'd get if you tried to dictate how that unit needed to fight better for your own ease and pleasure. They would probably beat you up, right? I mean, it wouldn't go well for you. You need to understand the greater mission and follow the officer's orders. And so your comfort, your ease are not the mission. You answer, you respond to the orders of your superiors so that you might best fit inside the plan to win the fight. And beloved, we are soldiers of Christ. We are soldiers of Christ. We are in this fight of life for His glory and for His kingdom. This is not our fight. This is not our war. Not ultimately. It's His. Now to be clear, listen to me, that doesn't mean that your lives are unimportant. That doesn't mean the things that go on are unimportant. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about those things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to get at the ultimate orientation of our lives. We are soldiers for the sake of Christ in His mission in the world to advance the spread of His glory around the world. Therefore, our prayer lives need to be oriented by that reality. He has been working long before us. He'll be working long after us. And He's graciously given us prayer as a way of answering or responding to life so that we might do our part in accomplishing the mission of His glory on the earth. Soldiers do not give the orders. Soldiers answer or respond to the circumstances of the fight by understanding their orders in light of the greater mission. Prayer, friends, is given to us so that we might understand the orders from King Jesus. And we might properly work out His mission of His glory in our lives. And to be clear, friends, the praise of His glory, you need to know this, the praise of His glory and your joy are not at odds with each other. They go together. They work like a hand in a glove. A life that is lived for the maximization of God's glory is a life that is living inside the grain of the universe. And therefore, to live for the glory of Christ is to live for the supremacy of God in all things. Therefore, is to have joy. It would mean life will go good. But you're living inside the grain of the universe. And so, having understood all of this, yet prayer is entering into God's story, not ultimately asking God, requesting God, enter into our story. And what we need to do now is, is show you how this is reflected in Scripture. So what I want to do is, is I want to just kind of skip a rock across the book of Psalms. And I want you to see how their prayers are doing the same thing. I want you to see from the text, from people, from God's people, how they understand their own lives to be inside the work of God's pursuit of His glory around the world. You're going to see that they're happening all kinds of problems, praying for all kinds of things. But you're going to notice as we walk through this list, they're all doing it for the sake of God's glory. All right, and again, I'm focusing only on Psalms. I could go all over the place. Just Psalms. Psalms is a book of prayer. So, first off, the Bible. How is it the psalmist sees the Bible and uses that for prayer to respond to God's work of His glory? We'll take a look at Psalm 1, 1 and 2. He says there, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. See, friends, meditation is a form of prayer 
And here we see the psalmist is meditating on the word for the purposes of what? Delighting. Delighting in what? Delighting in the law of the Lord, the, the law that is derived from the Lord. His meditations are seeking to delight in the Lord since the law is of the Lord. His meditations on the Bible are seeking to delight in the Lord, which is fitting inside the grain of what God's doing in the world. Second, what about prayer itself? How does the psalmist see prayer? Once again, we would expect them to be understanding that prayer is some way connected to God's mission for his glory. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. What is it? Whatever this is, it's going to be good. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For what purpose? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So part of prayer is requesting things. And and what we see here in this request, in this prayer, is the psalmist answering God's mission of his glory by requesting to gaze at it, to look at it. He prays to see the beauty of God. That's answering God's work of glory seeking by having his prayer asked to participate in it. One thing he asks, one thing, and the one thing he ultimately asks fits inside of what God's doing, the advancement and the enjoyment of his glory. That needs to be our orientation in prayer. What about our daily good? When we pray about daily good, how is it the psalmist prays in response to God's mission for his glory in our daily good? Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, O God, my Lord, here comes the request. Deal on my behalf. Why? For your namesake. Because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. His request is that God would deal with the circumstances of his life for the ultimate ends of his namesake. He still has to be delivered. But he wants it done to to match up to the music God is playing for his glory in the world. What about justice on evil? How does the psalmist's prayers answer God's mission for his glory when it comes to justice for evil? Psalm 97, 7. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. This is a a declaration, isn't it? Evil, friends, idolizes or treasures things above God. And the psalmist sees those things in his life and then he declares that those worshipers, those idolaters, be put to shame. They are put to shame. That is, taken down. He's declaring that evil is dealt with, put in its place. But look again, that's not the end. He doesn't just want the evil to go down. What is he wanting? He wants that proper worship from those idolaters would rise up. Evil idolatry comes up. The psalmist declares... Take that down. It is going down. They will be shamed. They will be taken down. And in its place, may those people come to worship God. Enjoy God forever. That's a prayer that is properly oriented by answering God's work in the world. What about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? A prayer of forgiveness. How does the psalmist pray for forgiveness in a way that answers God's mission for His glory? Psalm 25.11. Right there. For your namesake. O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So his own forgiveness, you'll notice, is not the end of the mission. 
He doesn't just want to be forgiven of his sin. He does want to be forgiven of his sin, but he wants to be forgiven of his sin in such a way that then will exalt God. Sin comes in, forgiveness is needed, therefore the psalmist answers God's mission for his glory by asking for forgiveness, not ultimately for his peace, but ultimately for the sake of God's name. What about prayers of direction? How does the psalmist answer God's mission for his glory in seeking direction? This is a, you guys love this one, right? A lot of you are at an age, you're trying to answer these questions. Psalm 23, 3. The great shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. This is David here. David recognizes that the Lord is the shepherd. He's the sheep. He needs the Lord to lead him in paths of righteousness. For what end? Not just that he'd walk in them for the sake of walking in paths of righteousness. Not just being a good person. Not just doing right things. No. Do that for the end of God's glory. Prayers of direction. Skip down. I'm going to go down on down a little bit to our great hope. How does the psalmist answer God with his prayers of hope? We should expect them to hope in the praise of the glory of God. And that's what we find. Psalm 57, 5. Here's his prayer. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 108, verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Guys, that's just psalms. That's just a few things. We could do this all over the Bible, on all different kinds of things. And hopefully what you see by now is what it looks like to answer God in the work of exalting His name. In all of these situations, all kinds of prayers are offered, and in each scenario, whether it be justice, whether it be forgiveness, whether it be direction, those prayers, life happens, the psalmist answers those situations with prayers that seek to align themselves with the ultimate end of God's glory, not the other way around. psalmist is trying to make sense of their world in light of God's mission. Not get God ultimately to intervene in their own world for the sake of their own mission. And again, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that they do not request insight. The psalmist does time and again. I'm just saying the request for the insight always eventually maps onto what God has already been doing and what He is doing and what He wants to do. In other words, going back to point one, The world of the psalmist is God-centered, not man-centered. They are not seeking to have God intervene for the ultimate aim of their own good, but instead they they assume that they are soldiers in the trenches of God's war. And they're just trying to figure out as bullets fly how to map that stuff on to His glory. They're responding, they're answering God's work in the battlefield of life, trying to align their situations with the ultimate aim of His glory. And so let's now conclude our time by making this more practical. What does this look like in our lives? How do we answer God in our own lives? First application. Begin your day with prayer. Super helpful, Nathan. Already knew that when I came in here. Right? That's what you think. I already knew I should start my day in prayer. Thanks a lot. That's really helpful, Nathan. That's the best you got? Well, listen. I understand this seems sort of obvious and helpful, but remember what we're trying to do here is we're trying to shift your orientation in prayer, trying to shift our perspective of God answering us in the morning to us answering God as He works in the world for His praise. And I don't know about you guys, but I find it difficult to pray first thing in the morning. Am I the only one in the room? 
don't think so, right? It's difficult to pray first. I'm tired, probably cranky a little bit, right? For whatever reason, it's difficult to get going. And so I have hard praying in the morning other than, Lord, Jesus, bless my life cereal right here, please. Amen, right? Other than that, it's hard for me to get going in prayer. But if my perspective of prayer shifts from getting God to answer me to my answering God in his work of redemption, I'm going to be able to call to mind the fact that God has been doing all kinds of stuff while I've been sleeping, as I've said before earlier in the sermon. See, I tend to have trouble praying in the morning because when I wake up, I think I got to I got to do this today. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to get to work, man. I'm late. If I don't catch that bus at that time, I'm going to be late. And my boss is going to get upset. I got to go. No time for prayer. Right. And we don't pray. But we need to understand, flip this on his hand. Remember, it's not so we don't pray because we think like those prayers are not going to help me be lit early. Maybe they will. Maybe that bus will show up early or it's late, whatever. That's that's possible. But we are ineffective in our prayers in the morning because we are so centered on ourselves. Instead of thinking about what God, what God have you been doing as I've been sleeping? I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, when we open our eyes in the morning, the day is half over. While we have been sleeping, God has been working. We wake into a world in which God's word has been making aspens and salamanders and puppies. I don't even know what an aspen is, but I'm sure it's great. So what we do when we wake up in the morning to pray, friends, is what we're saying in essence is, I'm a soldier in your army. Here I am. I'm at my place. What, what, what needs to happen today, God? I know enough about what it means to be a soldier. What's my place? I'm here at my post, Lord. What do I need to do? I got all these things that I know that I, I need to attend to today, but help me, God, as I start my day, help me to think about what those things have to do with you. That's a good way to start our prayer, to orient our day from the very beginning. You know, so this is what it looks like in my life. One of the first things I do, and always the first thing to do, sometimes I look at that, oh, that phone too quickly. Oh, uh, but. One of the things I'll do is I get up, we've got this window in our bedroom, and we keep it shut because a lot of light comes in the morning, which I love in the day, don't love at night, in the morning wakes me up. But I open it up, and the light comes beaming in, and the first thing I do is we have a church building right out in front of where we live, and there's on top of this church building is a big cross. And I always look at that cross. First thing, after I get up, open up the blinds, look at the cross, and I sing this song in my head. Y'all, you know, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Many of y'all know that song. I just say that. Just start it right out of the gate. That's how I start my day. I want to try to think about His glory right from the beginning. Orient my day right there. So, begin your day in prayer. Two, read first, answer with prayer. Second thing we can do to do this. Read first, answer with prayer. When I do my personal devotions, for the longest time, I had so much trouble starting in prayer. I was cold. My heart was kind of cold. Right? whether it be in the morning or whether it be in the afternoon, I was thinking about all kinds of things. And so after understanding this concept, what I began to do is I prayed really short prayers at the front end of my devotion, and then I would read the text. That's God's Word. And then what I would do is I would answer God in that passage that I just read. And that helped fuel my prayer. So now the way it looks like for me, I think this will be helpful to you, is now I'll pray something like the beginning of my devotion, sort of like this. Lord Jesus, illumine my heart and mind to the teaching of your word that I may walk in it. Whatever. You can pray something like, God, help me to understand your word. Moment of silence. Into the word. That's it. Total prayer. 
And then I'm, I'm working through the text, thinking about God, seeing what he's doing in there for the sake of his glory in there. And then after I'm done with reading, then what I'll do is I'll try to grab one thought from what I just read and think about how beautiful God is in that passage. Something about Jesus and the greatness of his glory and redemption. I'll think about that and it'll warm my soul. And do you see how that's gas in my soul to pray? It'll just start going from there. It's so much easier to pray because I'm responding. I'm answering God's word. Read first, then pray. Read first, then pray. Meditate on that word and then let it fuel you to respond to that word in prayer. Third, answer with the voices of the saints. Answer with the voices of the saints. Sometimes I still find it difficult after doing it that way to answering God in his word. Sometimes I still find it difficult to still pray. And so I use a few helps to get me started. So many of you are familiar with some of these books. I love the Valley of Vision. If you don't have that, you should get that. It's a really helpful book of prayers. I'll read the Valley of Vision prayers. I'll read this little book called Prone to Wander, which is prayers of confession. Uh, I I read the Gospel Primer and use those. Uh, I use this book called Setting Their Hope in God. These are prayers for my kids. Uh, I use devotional books. I use hymns. I sing sometimes. You, can, you know you can do that, by the way. You're allowed. It's okay. Uh, so i got a little hymn book that I use, and sometimes I'll sing. Uh, I'll use psalms. The psalms right here. I'll use these psalms to pray them back to God. I use emails. If you send me an email, I'm sure some of you people have. The Bechtel will send me an email. This is how Campus Outreach is going. And I just stick it right there, and I leave it. And I bring it up. When it's time to pray, I just, whatever's in there, I just start praying. So if you send me an email and you ask for prayer, you're probably going to get prayed for Right? That helps fuel my prayer life because I have difficulty knowing sometimes what to pray for. And the, one of my best, best prayer tools other than the Bible is this guy right here. So if you're a covenant member of Restoration Church, this should be one of outside of the Bible, should be your best prayer tool. I use this thing all the time. Inside this book, Joey so wonderfully helps me right out of the gate. I can see here, here's my calendar for the, my church family. This is my family. This is the stuff we're going to do this year. I could pray for this stuff. And pray for the picnic or whatever coming up. You know, and you can open up this second. Praying for spiritual benefit. There it is. I can pray for all these things. And I open that up. Uh, I pray. Here's our membership covenant. I can pray for these things. That I would be doing these things. That we would be doing these things. And then uh, finally, I pray for the leadership of the church. Right through it here. But then the most important work is right here. These are all the members of our church. Right? I'm praying for them by name. You know, right here I'm praying for Jen Wells. For Ethan and Jenny Walker. They're moving to Uganda. I'm going to pray for them. I'm praying for Hagen, Laura Thornton, for Katie Tuazon. Praying for Angela. I'm praying for all these things. And we got we added some members since then, so I wrote them right there, and I pray for them. Right? Over a dozen ways you can serve every week. Membership, I mean, so helpful to help me pray in a way. God, map all these things and us as a people, as a Restoration Church, onto your glory. Use the voices of the saints for the sake of his glory fourth answer life by answering god answer life by answering god in other words as life happens good or bad recognize that god's in that he's in it he's in that situation you don't need to sort of wake up god i need you to come on down get in here oh oh, yeah okay nathan's got that thing going on okay what do we need to do no that's not he's in that right he's in there I promise to be with you to the end of the age, right? He's there. Our, what we need to understand is in those life circumstances, we need to understand what is God doing here? Help me to understand this 
and, and see how I can participate in this, good or bad, inside of the glory of God. Just think about all the headings of the prayers, so many of the prayers in the Psalms, the headings. Psalm 3, heading, when he fled from Absalom, his son, prayer. Psalm 18, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his, all of his enemies, then prayer. Psalm 57, when he fled from Saul in the cave, prayer. What he's doing in those prayers, those, all of those things, crazy stuff's happening. They pray, they're responding in prayer. And then at the end of those prayers, sometimes they'll say, God, I don't know where you are. Seems like you're far away. Doesn't seem like you're here. But you'll notice virtually every single time, what do they do? They land in the character of God because they recognize he is true and faithful. But they just are honest with how they're feeling in those moments. They bring it back to him, though, at the end. So we get news. We find something out. We answer those situations by bringing them to God. So my brother and his wife are not pregnant, but, you know, if my wife and I get a call. David and Jamie are pregnant. What do we do? Well, let's praise God. Let's just stop and pray. We give thanks to God. Right? Elisha ran into a tree. All right, we need to pray right now. Like, believe it. We need to pray. God, I don't know what you're doing in the tree, but we need to pray. We need to pray. All right? So we're just trying to map onto that. We are answering his activity. We're not trying to convince him to do something as much as we are trying to answer what he's already doing in that situation. Trying to see and understand and bring it into his throne room. Prayer should be bringing our lives into his story. It's sort of like, sort of like uh, uh, when you're moving, right? You help somebody move, right? You come off the U-Haul truck. You don't know where to put this stuff. And you walk in, you're like, what do you want to do with this? I'll take that to the kitchen. All right, take that to the bedroom. And sometimes they'll say, you know, put that thing you think should go in the bedroom. They say, put it in the kitchen. All right, whatever. Right, and you go on. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're trying to understand this is God's house. He's at work. Fifth, lastly, pray with other saints. Pray with other saints. Here's what happens when you pray with others. It's easier to answer God because you're listening to his people pray. That's why prayer is so helpful with other people. It's so helpful because you hear them and then you respond. Like you may have walked into that prayer meeting with you want to pray about five, ten things, right? And then you hear your brother or sister praying over there. Like, oh, yeah, we Please pray for that. Lord Jesus, please. Like the spirit moves in this prayer gathering. Guys, show up to prayer gatherings. I, yeah, I'd show up to prayer gatherings. We hear God's people pray. We respond when we hear them praying because we see, we hear about things. We may have nothing. We don't even know what we're going to pray about when we show up to that prayer gathering. We show in there and we hear Curtis is praying about this. Like, oh, I didn't know that about his dad. So this or or maybe, you know, Matt is over there and he knows about this stuff going on in Kyrgyzstan. And we're like, oh, we need to pray for that. Bring that. I didn't know. God, help, please. The brothers, sisters in, in Kyrgyzstan, etc. On we go. We hear other people pray and then we join with them. Think about this service. How did we start this service? We started this service with a brief prayer, didn't we? And then what we do, we read the Bible. And then what we do, we responded in prayer and singing. What are we going to do after the sermon? Pray. Sing. And then we'll end with another prayer. We're just responding to God's word together as God's people. Pray in community groups. Pray in discipling relationships. Not perfunctory prayers. Lord Jesus, bless our food. See you later. Pray for those things. But pray. Meaningfully pray. Pray in your marriages. Pray in discipling relationships. Recognize your need for God and pray. And remember to pray as a people, a church. We in this country are being wrecked in so many different ways because we think of church as just a service provider no different than Sprint or Verizon. 
We show up, we get service, and off we go. That is not the church. The church is that we would be one people. Go read Jesus' prayer in John 17. That we would be one. And so come together. Pray together that we would be one. Pray with other saints. Samuel Chadwick says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His concern is to keep the saints from praying. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. And friends, this is because Satan knows that prayer is the privilege of the redeemed. He knows that this is the means for which God will accomplish His glory in the world. Just think about the moment when Christ is paying the penalty for sin on the cross. What happens? Second darkness in that day, and then the veil tears. Why? So that we, the redeemed, might go boldly into the throne room of God and bring our lives to Him. That we would come to Him. Yes, Jesus came to us in the incarnation, but so that we would then go to Him in prayer. We would go to Him in heaven and enjoy Him, saying, here's my life, God. Here's my church, God. Here's my job, God. Help me know how I can bring this into You and what You're doing for Your glory in the world. And so that needs to be the orientation of us in prayer. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll see your need for God your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ so that you can then come to Jesus or come to God the Father and come to Jesus. And if you are a Christian trusting in Christ, see the orientation of your life needs to be Him. And your life is a response to what He's already doing. Go and enjoy Him in prayer with others and in your own life forever. Let's now do what God would have us to do. Pray. I trust that he's been doing something with this feebleness of a sermon. And somewhere in this, I trust that he's worked. And so therefore, what are we going to do? We're going to respond. We're going to answer God. We're going to pray. Magnificent Father, you are eternal. You are great. You are powerful. You are good. You are holy. All things hold together in You. You have never done wrong. You never change. Dominion is Yours. Thank You for Jesus that makes privilege possible. His work on the cross and in the resurrection. And teach us as a people, as individuals, but especially as a church, that we would be a people that prays together so that we might come into Your story and not try to manipulate You to get our purposes back in on our lives, but understand that we need to be wrapped up in you. May we empty ourselves and find ourselves in you as we exude that in prayer. We love you and thank you, God, for prayer. May we answer you every day of our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the one of whom that makes prayer possible. Amen. Let me invite the music team to come on up and I'm going to invite you to stand.